Welcome to Getting Into Infosec. I'm your host, Eamon Elswa. Today, my guest is Nipun Gupta. Nipun shares how he got into Infosec, and in fact, at some point, was actually discouraged to pursue the field. Even before that, when I was doing my master's, a lot of people discouraged me to go into this industry. Nipun spent most of his career as a consultant, which provided him an accelerated growth. Because most of the learning we do is on the job, as you can probably agree with me as well. So there's not a school that would teach you how to respond to the board, how to report cybersecurity issues in a way that they're understandable, how to talk to engineers who have, you know, never really dealt with security professionals before. He also shares with us an interesting war story, but also emphasizes how important communication is in information security. The biggest problem security professionals will probably continue to face is how to bridge that gap between technical conversation and business conversation, because you have to be technical in order to understand the depth of the issue. But at the same time, you need to be able to express it in business language so that non-technical people can make those decisions. I originally met Nipun at the now-defunct Bay Threat Conference. Bay Threat was a local conference that had both defensive and offensive tracks. So it was really interesting to see that. I would like to see more of that at other conferences as well. All right, on to the show. Hey, Nipun, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. All right. So this is the first time we're doing an in-person interview. And I must tell you, what a great setup. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So lucky that have someone nearby in security to do this over. Anyway, so walk us through what you do today and maybe a little bit of how you got into information security. Sure. I actually work for a large multinational financial corporation and I work as a cybersecurity innovation specialist and my title is vice president, if that means anything. I'm okay. in financial world like a middle manager sort of title. Yeah. There's often a lot of vice presidents in banking, financial. Yeah. Okay. And what do you have to do from a cybersecurity perspective? Yeah, so I think this is the coolest job on the planet Earth, especially in cybersecurity. You know, I was in cybersecurity consulting before I joined the bank. But now since I've done this, my only job is to find interesting, cool, innovative technology startups and see how we can use them at the bank. Okay, because banks traditionally don't move that fast from using cybersecurity technology. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, this is not just limited to the banks. I think banks are the most innovation friendly because they're the most mature when it comes to cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. But if you look at, you know, cybersecurity industry in general, most of the buyers prefer to buy from large, well-known, well-marketed vendors out there, mm. which I think is you know, a cardinal sin when it comes to buying good technology because most of the big security vendors don't innovate all that much. And especially when you're looking at emerging security threats, their products cannot handle that very well. Mm. Okay. So tell us how you first got into security. Yeah, I actually came to the US after a first semester in Japan. So did my master's in information security, as it was called back then. And that started you know, my official foray into information security. Before that, I did like a major project. That's how we call it, like a minor and a major project hmm. in my undergrad. It's not really totally dedicated to cybersecurity, but it was like, you know, very free related to that. So we had to triangulate locations of people in dorm rooms using the internet. So I was able to do that with the error of like plus minus five meters. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Using just open source? Using open source tools like MATLAB, yeah, and simulation techniques. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. And how was it when you were trying to enter the workforce? Yeah, I think even before that, when I was doing my master's, a lot of people discouraged me to go into this industry, although I was like extremely interested to 
you know, be a cybersecurity professional. Everybody was like, oh, hey, you are an immigrant. So I was in India when I was applying for this degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were like, okay, you're not going to find a job because most of the jobs in cybersecurity reserve for US citizens. You're going to go and work in the US. Mm. And, you know, even during my degree, people who were not in my degree always used to be skeptical of me ever finding a job. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, hey, you are going to at least need a permanent residency, if not a citizenship, because you can then find a clearance and then you can work for government related projects. Mm -hmm. And I could not believe that because, you know, every single company needs cybersecurity, Mm -hmm. not just the government. Right. Yeah. Right. Is there still that mentality today? I haven't interacted with the students recently, but I think it's changing, right? Right. When so many news items indicate that corporations are getting hacked, public and private, uh, you know, so it's definitely a non-government problem as well. Yeah, it's a much different time now that cybersecurity is really in the forefront of the news and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you had a lot of naysayers when you were in your program. Mm -hmm. And so when you graduated in your program, how did you get your first job? Yeah, it was actually an interesting time, although I think I was lucky to be in cybersecurity because this is 2008-9 time frame when I started doing my degree. Okay. So jobs were generally not available, right? Right, so, the recession and everything. Yeah, the recession hit, uh, you know, US job market really went down, limited jobs, even more limited for immigrants because they had to sponsor green card and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So. I think cybersecurity was just the need of the hour for many of the corporations. And they were paying other consulting companies to come and tell them the issues and solutions and so on and so forth. So I got my first job in cybersecurity at a consulting company called PricewaterhouseCoopers, which was great experience because I had no clue how practically the cybersecurity enterprises worked hmm. or organizations in you know large enterprises worked. And it was actually a very dismal state in my experience, uh, especially at most Fortune 500s. And being a consultant gives you a tremendous amount of experience in a very short amount of time, right? Yes, yes. That's like the best part of a consulting job. You are interfacing with high-level directors, even chief executives of many, many large corporations who have worked in the industry for more than 10, 20 years. So you're interacting with very experienced professionals who may or may not know much about cybersecurity, but they're trusting you to do their job. So it's kind of imperative for you to know the theory and learn from people who have worked in this industry for a long time. And you get to interact with them. You get to understand real world problems they are facing and how they report concerns to their board and you help them do that. So it was extremely fulfilling and learning at the same time. Okay. And you've been a consultant, I guess, a majority of your professional life. So would you recommend to those new to information security to seek a job in the consulting space? I think so. I think that's... uh, Really interesting way to start your career in uh, in cybersecurity because most of the learning we do is on the job, as you can probably agree with me as well, because there's not a school that would teach you how to respond to the board, how to report cybersecurity issues in a way that they are understandable, how to talk to engineers who have you know never really dealt with security professionals before. So I think these are probably the more critical parts of the job that you learn only in something like consulting. Okay. And what does it take to get a job in a consulting company? I think you have to be an extrovert, first and foremost. An extrovert. An extrovert, okay. yes. So if that is the part of your personality, it's definitely simpler for you to get a job there. Okay. For me, it was as easy as having a company come to my career fair, and then you know, shortlisting me from a pool of candidates for a more privately organized party or dinner, which was for shortlisted candidates. Mm. 
And then, you know, we went from that process to interview. What are they looking for? They're looking for people who can represent the brand that they carry when it comes to professional conversations with business leaders in the world. More polished, you have to have a certain kind of personality to be able to talk the talk, the business talk, you know, and a lot of our security engineers have this drawback of being an introvert. It's a drawback in the consulting industry for sure, and especially when it comes to interacting with business leaders because they are looking for numbers, more uh, colorful conversations than just like, you know, you have a vulnerability. Okay. They're looking for assurance. They're looking for assurance. They're looking for more context-specific understanding of whatever security issues we find or we want to resolve. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So what about the less thankful, less rewarding times in the consulting space? Because there's a lot of burnout, wouldn't you say? I think a lot of people only stay, what, two or three years before they move on. From your perspective, can you talk more about that? Yeah, the less exciting times in security. So now I work for a large company, so I can understand the blue team perspective. Mm-hmm. But I was primarily in the reddish, purplish team before I got here. So I think the biggest issue is that you don't want to do security testing in regular business hours, especially if your business depends on those assets that are being tested. So, which means that as security professionals, if you are doing the testing, you'll have to work on the weekends or work overnight, which I have done a lot in my life for Mm -hmm. some reason. I think if I total it up, probably around six months of my professional life, I was doing either night testing or weekend testing. Oh, wow. So that I think is not so glamorous. And at the same time, it is stressy, very, very stressful. Okay. Yeah. And what about like the hours and the culture and things like that? Yeah. So... I think the biggest problem security professionals will probably continue to face is how to bridge that gap between technical conversation and business conversation, because you have to be technical in order to understand the depth of the issue. But at the same time, you need to be able to express it in business language so that non-technical people can make those decisions. Okay. So as a security professional, you need to maintain that balance and be that translator. I think that has caused a lot of issues in my life uh, in the past. Like sometimes myself, sometimes my colleagues have done that where they become too technical or they keep stressing that this is an issue without properly expressing the concern in the language that a business leader can understand. Do you have an example maybe you could share, you know, while protecting the innocent? Yeah, of course. You know, cross-site scripting as an example you know, sure, cross-site scripting is a huge, you know, big flaw in an application. But unless you can tell me what cross-site scripting can cause my application to do or how it can be harmful, you know, it's not useful. Unfortunately, our, you know, literature in most of the cross-site scripting related tools uh, who, which can find those or testers who can find those end up writing the report, oh, this is a huge flaw. It's OASP top 10, uh, you know, but there's not a very good description of how it can affect your application. So mm-hmm. unless you're a smart professional, you can't express it because you haven't been able to find it in any like Google researches that you did. So the impact is not clear. The impact is not clear. And the business leader is like, okay, yeah, we'll just push it to one of those you know, low priority items I on see. my list. Yeah, But it's imperative for a professional to express that, hey, cross-site scripting can lead to defacement of your web application. It can lead to administrative access on to the server of where the application is hosted. 
but i think these are the concerns that are not very easily expressed hmm. any security professionals fail to express that in the business language okay do you have any interesting war stories that you've seen among any of your many clients that you've been to i do i can actually talk about this because this company doesn't exist anymore oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> but but trust me security was not the reason they didn't exist okay <laughs> so this was a consulting gig uh, where we had to do security analysis of a cloud file sharing application okay so we went to this client uh, vp of engineering gave us a binary to work with as well as the web application urls so the idea was find uh, you know we did some threat modeling and we tried to find ways that somebody could get unauthorized access to a file that has been shared in the past okay so in this investigation i was able to reverse engineer the url itself that is being used for sharing so let's say i and you are trying to share a document amongst each other and i ended up sharing it to public but i just send you the link because that's the easier way of doing it otherwise you have to make an account and we have to be on the same shared folder mm-hmm. so i just shared it with the public the link has no expiration date oh okay right and i am not notified that it won't expire ever oh okay and guess how the sequencing is created uh, oh sequentially so, <laughs> it's the timestamp and the date and the sequence number of the files in your folder so if it's one it's number one it's two it's number two right so basically for any given timestamp and date you can find any file that was shared ever so you just run the sequence and do a base 64 and then you get the url so we googled this exact formula and guess how many files we found oh boy <laughs> a lot so thousands. yeah thousands of files we could basically download which were not meant to be shared with the public but the you know effect was huge the wow. impact of this vulnerability was huge the funniest part was we actually downloaded the binary that was not supposed to be released from the vp's own shared folder oh nice <laughs> yeah that was not a great conversation when we presented this to them wow yep they didn't take a while no i think they didn't realize it that <laughs> this is how their product can be abused okay so tell us about like you know how sometimes you have to explain to customers that their baby's ugly how do you do it in the nicest way possible i think you have to talk in terms of risk every business professional large or small company understands risk because risk can put them out of business so anytime you can either quantify or qualify a risk in the terms they can understand so let me give you an example so going back to that cross site scripting if the website's look and feel is important to the reputation of their business definitely that's the part you want to express this issue as this can cause harm to your reputation because the website can be defaced by exploiting cross site scripting issue mm-hmm. so that's number one and you know that's probably the more innocuous way of harming the website another one is a worse way is if they get access to the server you know personal data of their customers which may have financial data of their own company you know employees so on and so forth i think that's the other thing that they probably understand a little more easily if you express it in those terms that this is the data that's at risk if stolen this data can be abused and the company can be put at risk because its reputation can be affected okay so let's change gears for a little bit and mm-hmm. talk about the younger nipun you know how was your youth what was your exposure to technology and yeah you know, what made you want to do information security so i think i have answered this question in many ways but if i'm being honest with myself it was the show 
Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so in 24 season 2, Zachary Quinto plays the role of the offensive slash defensive hacker for the counterintelligence unit, CTU, in that show. And I was just ecstatic when I saw him play that role. I really identified with that character because while I'm an introvert when it comes to working, I'm an extrovert when it comes to expressing my work-related conversations or expressing my work-related issues. So I thought that was a great role. While he's not in the field hunting down terrorists, he's actually helping the field agents do that okay. by hacking into, you know, buildings, opening the doors right when the, you know, agent on the field needed it, finding plans to buildings and finding bank accounts where illicit money has been stored and right. things like that. Yeah. How old were you when you saw that? It was like early years of college, probably 19. Okay. Yeah. So you're still doing your undergrad in mm -hmm. some sort of technical capacity? Yeah, it was an electronics engineering course. Okay. Yeah. And then you got that itch for security and you decided to do that master's in... Yeah, I thought that was such a cool thing. And the only security courses online were how to make a virus, how to annoy people, basically. Is there any time in your youth you hacked something? I think so. It's a very simple one. But even in my college, uh, we had access to Wi-Fi. So Wi-Fi was a new thing in my college back in that time. Uh, this is like 2006, circa 2006. So Wi-Fi just came to our university campus. Everybody was excited. But the only way to access Wi-Fi was if you would register your machine with the university authorities. And how do you register that? You just give them your MAC right. address. Right. Right. Yeah, whitelisted MAC addresses, right? So nobody who is not part of the university could not access the university Wi-Fi. You know, funny thing is they limited your usage to just one device, but some of us had more than one device, right? So the way you do that is you would just run MAC address simulator and basically fool them to believe, oh, this is the same exact device on other devices. Yeah, so I would say this is like the only hack I've tried where I would get access to the internet on every single device. Nice. while most of the other people probably in my you know dorm I know that struggle okay okay yeah. yeah you saw a problem and you said to yourself there's got to be another way to get mm -hmm. around this yep exactly right. uh what kind of computer did you have growing up so i know my dad had windows 3.1 that was the first laptop he ever brought okay. home i didn't have a computer until yeah, i was like mid teens That's when we bought like a Windows 95 machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a Pentium 2, right, I think. Right. What is some advice that you can give to anyone basically looking to get into information security today? Biggest advice I have for you is be as technical as you can early on because later on you won't be able to. You'll have to express your security findings, security concerns in business language. And for that, you need to understand the depth of technical work. With that being said, it's not necessary for you to be technical in security because there are many new fields cropping up like security project management where you're just coordinating schedules of the people in security as well as helping run the projects. You don't need to be technical. You need to just understand basic levels of information security knowledge. Okay. Yeah. So I would say get a Linux computer, mess up with uh, Metasploit, try playing around with Kali Linux. Mm -hmm. These are some of the attack distributions out there. Play Capture the Flag at any opportunity you get. Join your university hackers club, uh, university Capture the Flag team if you have it. If not, try to take a course. I think securitytube.net is a website you could understand some basics of security at. 
I wish I had access to that when I was my undergrad. Right. There's so many resources right now. Yeah. That just weren't available before. Mm-hmm. So it's really amazing. Okay, great. So anything specific to those maybe overseas, say in India or anywhere, you know, those trying to get into InfoSec, are there any particular resources they can look into? Yeah, I think a couple of them I mentioned already. I think there's so many good YouTube videos now who can teach you like hacker's perspective from of a security professional. Hack5 videos are great. Darren Kitchen, amazing, cool teacher. And you can also go to local security conferences. I think this is some trend that I've seen recently. Every country has their version of Black Hat, RSA, where you know companies focused on security are there. So you can find local employers there. You don't need to be in the U.S. to practice information security. Every country has a security problem today. You can find your local government jobs. That's always an option. You can be part of the offensive, defensive workforce there. Learn a lot more advanced techniques in security. And I think if you're in India, you should definitely go to Nalcon. A lot more diverse now, a lot more international presence at Nalcon recently. It happens in Goa every year. So if you're looking for Miami in India, that's where you go. Yeah, Goa is a beautiful place. Yep. Yeah, I've been there. So Nipun, what would you recommend to folks looking to get into the information security field starting out? Yeah, I think it's hard to give you all the advice in the podcast, but I would recommend listeners to check out my LinkedIn post on how to get started in cybersecurity. So there are a few jobs that you can get. It doesn't necessarily need to be a security engineer, security consultant. There's some other jobs as well, but all of them require some level of security knowledge. And I've actually linked to places where you can get, most of them are like freely available on the internet. So you don't need to pay for anything. I've tried to take care of the paywall if there is any. So there's nothing. Most of them are very easy to access. So you can go and get started in information security. And it really describes if you're just an executive looking to learn, you know, you don't need to go deep. You don't need to be technical. You have these levels of knowledge that you need to get. And accordingly, the description is details in it. Okay, yeah, something for everybody, basically. Yeah, something for anybody who wants to learn more about cybersecurity. Depending on where they want to go, because the field is big, right? It's not just being a pen tester. Yeah, so our company has around 500 security professionals. Not all of them are pen testers. Actually, very few of them are pen testers. A lot of them are operations people. Some of them are project managers. One of them is an innovator. Innovate, right? (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of them are just executives reporting the right information to the right people. Okay. There was even a controversial post on Twitter lately about if you don't know how to code, then, you know, you're basically useless or shouldn't be in the security industry. I don't know if you saw that or not. That sounds like a very false statement. Well, Nipun, thank you so much for coming on the show and and taking the time to share your experience. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you.